you know, you go to these classes within WCG and on the incident management side and, and you walk away and you, know, you automatically lose 50% of that knowledge in, in 48 hours. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service just like you from coast to coast. Hey, stick around after the interview today for a new special segment. Now, is there a typical fire? Probably not, but there is a most common fire. Single-family residential fires add up to about three-quarters of all structure fires. In the National Incident Management System, these types of incidents are considered Type 4 or Type 5. That's the lowest type of incident overall, the least complex. But today's guest says a lot of departments aren't specifically training ICs to deal with them. They sort of learn on the job. That's not bad in and of itself, but it often leads to confirmation bias. Here to explain that is Chief Brian Schaefer of the Spokane, Washington Fire Department. He's been on the job at fire departments for more than 25 years and he serves on several local and state public safety and health-related committees. And Chief Schaefer joins me now to look at confirmation bias and how it gets in the way. Thanks for being on Code 3 today, Chief. Hey, thank you very much. Let's start by defining confirmation bias in this context. What is it? Well, you know, in in, in a uh, fire service context, it, it really is that um, people are prone to believe what they want to believe. So you go into a situation uh, as, a, as a company officer, as a uh, fire chief, battalion chief, uh, whoever the designated adult is for that situation that we're sending resources to, and, and there's al- already a, uh, an understanding in that person's mind that he or she are going to um, um, accept or not accept, I mean, the information that they're presented with and, and do what they, uh, what they intend to do without really looking at the situation. Now, how does that manifest itself on the fire ground? Well, you know, a, a bunch of different ways. You know, we, we look at, when we, when we go back and look at the Type 4 type fires across the country and, and, and even down, I just had a conversation the other day, how we build our training centers. You know, we have a, we have a great training center here. It's five stories and, and, uh, we can, we can move multiple companies in and, and do high rise drill after high rise drill and stand pipes and, and, you know, all of this really low frequency, high risk stuff. But I think we're missing the, we're, we're missing the, uh, the, the prize here as a fire service, really where we need to be focusing is on these single-family residential um, type 5 structures that were essentially the meat and potatoes of our business. Not to say that the other incidents are less important. It's just focusing our and starting our people with sets, reps, 
understanding the dynamics of a Type 4, Type 5 fire ground and getting really good at that and uh, trying to build ourselves through training uh, a level of resilience and understanding so that when we do have this uh, this danger of confirmation, confirmation bias that we're able to respond to that effectively, recognize it uh, and, and keep it in check while critically thinking about the information the fire is telling us and making better decisions. So now, how does on-the-job training of company officers lead to that? And would it be avoidable if they were trained specifically in training scenarios, not on the job? Well, you know, what, what we've done as a fire service, and again, this is, this is stereotyping and painting uh, us as a fire service with a really, really broad brush. I get that, and I understand that some people do this really well, and others don't, and then there's the rest of us kind of in the middle who who dabble in uh, trying to develop a really robust uh, Type 4, Type 5 IC program. And and what what we need to do, I, I believe, is develop, develop policy based on best practice and then spend uh, a lot of time with our potential incident commanders all the way down to people that may only have a couple years on the job because they start to form uh, those those younger members or the newer members, I mean, less, uh, less amount of time on the job. They start to form their habits and their understandings based on on-the-job training or, or by, by modeling, watching what that company officer in the front seat, uh, how he or she reacts and, and how he or she does business. So we have an organized approach to incident management, especially on these, uh, on, on the majority of our business. We set up a system that talks about the psychological side. You can really spend time developing uh, these people so that they recognize all of the psychological factors that can influence your decision making and learn how to overcome those and then put it in a context of training. So you, uh, you learn about uh, or not, you put all the things that we that we've um, that we've made as a foundation for firefighters: building instruction, fire behavior, uh, chemistry, tactics and rescue. All of all of those foundational principles that I'm assuming everybody has, and and then you, then you apply them in a non-threatening fashion. Very often, I, I like to use the blue card um, as an example a blue card system that the Bernasini family developed and uh, Phoenix Fire Department to where um, you're, you're brought into a model that is applied throughout the organization and everything that we do, it recognizes clearly the psychological factors and, and it builds on adult learning. So you're not put in a position of feeling stupid or feeling uh, like, you're, like you're inadequate regardless of what your rank is but you really are on the uh, the same platform as everyone else, and you're and you're there to learn. You're there to develop sets and reps in a non-threatening environment, and that is really what um, that is what we can use to develop experience, and not just experience, but good experience. Uh, we can learn that way, and we can do it until we can't get it wrong, instead of just doing it until we get it right. And I think that is a big difference uh, with with 
challenges like confirmation bias because all of us have been there, especially those of us, you know, I, uh, I'm a product of on-the-job training for years and years and years. You know, you go to these classes within WCG and on the incident management side, and, and you walk away, and you, know, you automatically lose 50% of that knowledge in, in 48 hours. It's, it's gone. If you have a program, and the program is threaded throughout your organization, um, that, that never goes away and everybody's talking about it, everybody's doing it. You're involved in sets and reps. You're, you're really trying to establish, and this is a whole other conversation, but you, you really need to build a learning organization within the fire department. So, you know, not only on the training side, you know, with, with capital assets being focused on single family or, or duplex type of structures, but also, uh, also in the field to where when you do have an incident, you can, you can do a formal, um, very productive after-action review, share that information, learn from it throughout the entire job, and, um, and then change policy. And, and, you know, that's hard to do, and especially in a bureaucracy. It's incredibly hard to do to get people to understand that um, policies are only worth the paper that they're written on. You, you really have to have uh, um, uh, guidance or doctrine that is flexible enough to adapt to the situations that we find ourselves in and understand that those situations change every minute of every day. How do you suppose that we got this far into the history of firefighting without treating type 4 and type 5 incidents as seriously as more serious incidents? You know, I... I News, newspapers and magazines love big fires. You know, I, I don't remember who coined the phrase of fire porn, but somebody did. And it's, uh, that, that's what sells magazines or that's, that's what sells newspapers or, or websites, the flashy, uh, big incidents. But in the reality, uh, what kills firefighters is, is these smaller, uh, type four, type five, five fires. I mean, the statistics don't lie about that. And if you overlay the areas where we're exposing ourselves to smoke and carcinogens, the same thing, um, add that threat to it as well. And that's where we're getting our exposure. I don't know why we haven't addressed it until now. I mean, I'm, I'm a product of it. I have, like I said, this big training center that's focused on you know, the mass pandemonium, worst case scenario, but realistically, I'd rather just have a house. <laughs> well, and, yeah, and, I, and, and then the obvious question, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but it is why aren't you guys doing that? I mean, if you're aware of it, it seems like you're in a perfect position to move for change on it. Oh, we are. And one of the cool things about what's happening here is we, uh, we have a really large uh, freeway coming through right in the, the center of our town. It's, it's called the North-South Freeway. So uh, a large number of neighborhoods and buildings are, are being vacated and bought out from the project. And it's giving us a chance to actually, um, actually at no cost to us, we're able to drill in situations where, you know, the, the same situation that we find in the street. So instead of having a burn tower, we have, you know, uh, not, not houses. 
Yeah, we've got so many houses, it's, it's almost ridiculous, which is great for us. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't solve the long-term problem of, of developing those sets and reps that are training centers. So I think the, the next capital project that we'll have is, is exactly that, um, uh, flexible so that we can change uh, the interior walls. But the majority of the external structure will be built like a residence. And we'll be able to have movable walls so that we can change the uh, the type, you know, and go from a, a ranch to a, a story and a half, have uh, the story and a half with knee walls. All the things that we run into, especially here in Spokane with older homes, we would like to be able to replicate um, at, the, at the drill site, at the training center. But again, that takes capital money. And you know, we've got a lot of other capital projects on, on the burner, mostly focused on firefighter safety. So, you know, in lieu of moving those, uh, those capital projects off and putting the, the prop as a priority, we're just using homes and a lot of them. Sounds like your folks are going to be well trained in this and it may not be an issue, at least in the medium term. Well, you know, the, I would hope not. You know, we've got a really young department now. We've, I think we've brought in about 150 or so new people over the last couple of years. So we've got an opportunity. You know, we installed uh, Apple TVs. We're in the process of installing Apple TVs in, in all the fire stations. So the company officers or the, the designated adult for the day in those firehouses are going to be able to pull up and do their sets and reps, get comfortable managing everything uh, from a single-family residence up to a strip mall or a big box or something more uh, significant. But they'll be able to do that in a learning environment that uh, is really without consequence. So you can you can make those mistakes. You can try those ideas. You can, um, you can learn in a non-threatening environment and, again, do it until you can't get it wrong and then go out on the street and perform and feel a lot more confident, recognize what um, – what challenges we have with with our minds, specifically for the, for the context of the conversation, the confirmation bias. But there's so many more, you know. There's so many, uh, so much, so many aspects about psychology that, uh, especially with Dr. Gasway, when he talks, I, I learned something from the guy just in casual conversation, and it, it it's really enlightening. The more you can learn about how your mind works, the better incident commander and i think the better fire officer that you'll make all right chief brian schaefer thanks for talking with me today no problem anytime and we put some more information on our website at code3podcast.com slash bias check it out are you ready for your trivia question who invented the fire pole and when did they invent it I'll have the answer right after this. Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan. Here's the trivia answer. David Kenyon, a Chicago firefighter, invented the fire pole in 1878. Before the fire pole, firefighters used spiral staircases or sliding chutes. Why spiral? 
so the horses used to pull early fire apparatus couldn't walk up them and get into the kitchen with the firefighters, and I am not kidding. Now I'm proud to introduce the first of a semi-regular series on Code 3. I'll call it Scott's Story Archive. It's stories from my past. I worked in TV news for many years, and I have some good tales from that time. Today's episode is The Case of the Crashed Cars. This was 1995, give or take a year or two, when I was a TV news photographer in South Carolina. I went to a pretty serious motor vehicle collision. There were three vehicles involved. One was upside down, two others were a tangled mess. And I was shooting video of the scene, and I got a little closer, and a little closer, and a little closer. And all of a sudden, a firefighter in a white helmet who was standing on top of one of the cars directing the sawing procedures looked at me and yelled, Get back! Get out of there! And looked angry while he was pointing at me to move away. Now, I was pretty young back then, but I thought I knew everything. So I turned to a state trooper I knew who was there, and I said, Hey, can he do that? Can he make me move? State troopers said, Well, Scott, I'll tell you, that's Judge Smith. So, if I were you, I would listen. That was my first experience learning that volunteer fire departments can have a wide range of people involved, including judges. And so I avoided getting into serious trouble that day. Remember, when a judge yells at you to move, you move. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I hope you'll be here. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. 